Super Talk Mississippi media production. Moondog Makers and Bakers Catering Services. Taking ordinary to extraordinary. Personal and home private nights to massive events. From wood-fired pizzas to full gras. Get your three-pack spice blend of Moondust, Mooncrust, and Moonrocks. Hashtag what is Moondog? Familiar food done differently. It's time for True American Heroes. For the record with Jack Rutland. Another exclusive on Super Talk Mississippi 102.1 FM. Many of our heroes have taken their stories with them to the grave. But this show is about the stories and personal experiences of these veterans. Well, welcome to True American Heroes for the Record. As we honor our veterans from Lincoln County and South Mississippi who have served their country and worn the uniform of their country. And today it's a real honor for me to have a young man with us who uh, wore the absolutely gorgeous uniform of the Marine Corps. Uh, people used to say the sexiest uniform out there was a Marine Corps uh, dress uniform. Uh, Chris. Uh, Exifas, who is uh, uh, served in Afghanistan and is with us today to talk about his experience. Chris is glad uh, we're glad to have you with us. Glad to be here. Well, let's just start back because the Marine Corps is is famous for its basic training, and and uh, your home is not originally from Lincoln County, even though you live here now with your family. Uh, you were from Menden, Louisiana. Menden, Louisiana. And I think it was in Menden that you uh, got into the Corps. Yeah. But let me ask you this. Now, this is a question because everybody. Kind of knows what it's like being in the Corps. I mean, why would you choose the Marine Corps? Uh, well, there's multiple reasons. Uh, I guess the first and foremost, uh, there's there's never been another Marine in my entire family. Oh, okay. It's either been Army or uh, my older brother. He joined the Navy. Of course, the reputation. I tell you a, a funny story. I was actually thinking about the Navy when I first mm-hmm. started mm-hmm. Um, thinking anything to do with the military and. Marine recruiter called my house, who to this day is one of my really good friends. Sure. And uh, he said, I'm calling to talk to you uh, about the Marine Corps, see if you're interested or whatever. And um, I said, thank you so much, but my brother joined the Navy, and I'm really kind of, you know, tanking and talking talking about the Navy and everything. Sure. And he said, well, you're not good enough anyway, and he hung the phone up. Oh, I bet that <laughs> so, got your so attention. At that point in time, I said, well, I've got to see what this is all about. Yeah. And I, I yeah. called him back, and I kind of went from there and uh, – you know, back in when I was in high school, freshman, sophomore, you know, you start researching and looking and, and learning and everything. Right, and the more right. and more I saw and the more I learned and heard about, the more I fell in love with, with what mm-hmm. they did and who they are and, and uh, what they stood for. Absolutely. And what a heritage and what a what a history that the United States Marine Corps, as all of our branches have, but there's just something about uh, walking up to a guy that's also been in the Corps and, you know, just saying Semper Fi and, and that camaraderie that's there just because of the history of the service. But but all of our services, and I don't want to get any Navy and Army guys mad at me, but Chris, <laughs> uh, you know, it's just, uh, I mean, it's just a fact. There's nothing quite like basic training in, in, unless you're in the Marine Corps. That's absolutely it's, it's right. It's extremely unique. So uh, I believe you said you took your basic at Paris Island. I did. I, uh, I graduated high school May 18th, 2007, and I was on an airplane June 25th, 2007, headed to Paris Island. Ooh. And um, 
You know, there's there's not enough YouTube videos or, or documentaries that you can watch that prepare you for that. And um, I'll never forget the bus pulling up and uh, drill instructor coming on the bus and telling you to get on the yellow footprints. Mm-hmm. And uh, the the I, I didn't. There's no thought you can think of. It's just get up and go. And uh, the first time we got in a squad bay after we had gotten our our camis and our our sea bags and all our little gear that you get right when you get there to kind of sustain mm-hmm. you the first mm-hmm. few receiving weeks, he was he was coming down the middle of the squad bay and he was just a hollering and yelling and all I could do was just laugh. I don't know why, but I just I just it was it was becoming becoming surreal that okay sure. you, you're here now you know and uh, there's no going home and boy was that a mistake did he see you laugh he saw me Uh-oh. laugh okay. and uh he he snapped his finger and simultaneously snapped and pointed at me and he and it seemed like he floated across the room right towards me and i didn't laugh again <laughs> well i think it would certainly be an understatement to call marine basic intense Right, but I've also heard it characterized as tearing down and rebuilding. It is because it the is. Marine Corps has got to have a special kind of soldier, just as every branch does. They have special assignments, indeed. And you guys have to be—you have to fit a very strict and tight uh, uh, description of what the, uh, they expect a Marine to be. Absolutely, because of the things that you guys have to be able to do. Um, Tell me a little bit about some of the things that stand out to you in in basic training, because I know it is so intense. The sand pit's the first thing that stands out. Now, what's a sand pit? Uh, The sand pit is where you go um, for some extracurricular training as far as, you know, when when your platoon, because everything is done as a group discipline, and that's the main thing. When one messes up, everyone is punished. Your chain is only strong as your weakest link. True. So until everyone becomes as one, and can work in unison um the sand pit is is basically where they go to destroy you i mean mm. you it's just a humongous box of sand you're rolling around you're doing push-ups jumping jacks sit-ups you're just burpees up and down and mm. you're just sweating covered in sand and uh that's uh as far as the discipline goes that's the most memory i'll ever have now but, tell us a lot of folks may not know where paris island is south carolina and it, it's not uh, it's not a big metropolitan area. No, no, no. It's it's, uh, it's, it's kind a, of in the, it's it's how far from the coast are you? Not uh, very far. Not very far, but the island itself is a, is a swamp around it. Yeah. Um. So if the drill instructors don't get you, the gators will if you try to go. Uh, I imagine mosquitoes. And, oh, and the sand fleas. The sand yeah. fleas and the mosquitoes are the worst. <laughs> All right. So how long did basic training last? Thirteen weeks. Thirteen weeks. Now during that time. While they're breaking you down and putting you back together, there is that cohesiveness, cohesiveness that's being built uh, and camaraderie between the, uh, the the company, your group, and uh, and also though they're they're starting to to look for your basic skills that they that will follow you through your whole career in the corps, things that you do well, and they say, hey. Uh, you look like you might be infantry, you might be uh, uh, radio, you might be artillery, you might be armored. Uh, is that just written testing, or do you get some input on your part about what you'd like to be well, as, far as far as assignments? As, well, as far as your MOS goes, every Marine is a rifleman. So it True. doesn't matter if your, your MOS is this or if your MOS is that, every Marine is a rifleman. And when you show up to basic training, um, you already have a – MOS designated, but that doesn't okay. mean anything okay. because I showed up to uh, Paris Island and I had signed to be a military police officer. That was my original 
And it, I didn't find out until after boot camp that I was going to California to be a radio operator. Okay. But uh, as far as, as deciding what you're going to do through basic, it really basic is just basic training for us is just to make you a basic Marine first. Mm-hmm. It's really, there's no, uh, there's no MOS um, designed or designated areas. Okay. You just you learn the traditions mm-hmm. and the history mm-hmm. and um, the knowledge, and you learn rifleman skills, and of course you get in shape. The the discipline is is one of the things that the Marines that I've been around during my life have always been impressed with their their self discipline, and I think a lot of it does come from their training and what's expected of them when they're in the Corps, and. Uh, you know, just the cohesiveness, I, th- I think that's a significant term because when you're facing combat or even when you're doing a, a stateside job, I mean, it's doing it for, what, for, the, for the group, for the core. And whatever your assignment is, you do it. Um, so you, were th- you finished up, and then I heard you mention just then that you, uh, your MOS ended up being radio, right. uh, and you were sent to California for training. Yeah, 29 Palms, California. There's- okay. Literally nothing there but 29 palm trees in the desert. And uh, terrible place. Terrible place. But you were there for training. And uh, so that gave you a I'm, – I'm t- when you say radio operator, I think you're probably talking about one that's self-contained you carry on your right, back. Right, And so that meant you were you were going to be actively involved in moving around and carrying that box. How much oh, yeah. did it weigh, Chris? Uh, it, it varied. Some some of the RTOs weighed six to seven pounds. Some of them that required a few more antennas or satellite antennas could get up to 10, 11 pounds. Okay, so, all right, you finish your, your, your training there. Um, deployment. Let's talk, let's talk about your first deployment. We graduated, uh, uh, we graduated from radio operator school. We were all standing out there receiving our tickets, uh, our certificates, and um, they start listing off who's going to what unit. And uh, there was a buddy of mine that I had met in boot camp. Um, you know, my last name is a X. His last name was a W. So we were kind of side by side all 13 <laughs> that's weeks. That's right. That's right. And uh, after that, and we went to MCT together, which is a month-long uh, combat training uh, school. We were there together. Mm-hmm. And uh, we mm-hmm. went to California. We were there together. And uh, we ended up going to the same battalion, 2nd Battalion, 9th Marines. And okay. we were sitting there uh, listening to them call out what unit we were going to. And um, they said, uh, Victor 2-9, Camp Lejeune. And uh, we just kind of both looked at each other and said, we're going to go fight. Mm-hmm. And uh, we got our orders and landed in Camp Lejeune earlier that January and got with our battalion. And we got there, went and got our packs and all our gear that you get issued and uh, met with our new platoon and everything. And it wasn't four weeks later. Um, we had a battalion meeting and uh, did the big formation. They said, we're headed to Iraq. Mm-hmm. And uh, we both looked at each other again and said the same thing. Mm-hmm. We're fixing to go fight. And uh, that's when we headed out and flew to Iraq. Okay, so what year was that, Chris? 2008. Okay, 2008. 2008. All right, so you get over there. Most of the, I think if I'm, my history is correct, most of the fighting, the intense fighting was over with. Right, right. So your role was pretty much as a peacekeeper? Peace, right, peacekeeper. Okay, and I believe we talked a little bit about the fact that you ended up doing a lot of training. Right. You were training Iraqi uh, police officers to be and, police and officers and, and be military. Were right. you training them to be in just the basic military, or were you talking or training them in radio operation? Uh, it was a little bit of all of it. Um, they had uh, what we were calling, we referred to as uh, Vietnam-era communication equipment, mm-hmm. old-school mm-hmm. stuff, kind mm-hmm. of a second-hand thing. And mm-hmm. basically we were just teaching them not so much how to use it because – 
it really it really didn't take much knowledge to understand sure. how to speak on a radio, but how sure. to how to securely and safely speak. Um, understandably, you know, un- well, understandingly, and 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 the the communication security of it, um, okay. the type of lingo, the type of code words, call names, and and that type of thing. Okay, all right. Well, we're honored today to have uh, Chris Exifus, who is uh, Marine Corps, uh, spent time in Iraq, and in just a minute, when we come back from our break, we're going to be talking about his time in Afghanistan, which was uh, considerably different from Iraq. Welcome back. We're honored to have with us today Chris Exifus, uh, who served our country, wore the uh, Marine Corps uniform, served in Iraq, and then uh, also served in Afghanistan. We were talking just a moment ago about your role uh, of service in uh, while you were in Iraq was training. It was a little bit different after that was over with. You came back to the States and then got redeployed to Afghanistan. It was uh, a little bit of a different environment there because that was still a pretty hot area with a lot of uh, combat going on. And, and um, uh, tell us a little bit about your, what you were doing and where you went in Afghanistan when you, re- when you uh, arrived in Afghanistan. Uh, well, when, you come, when we came back from Iraq, you know, being in the military and where we were, we really don't, we don't follow uh, – the news and all that type of stuff as you would every day here so sure. we're we're not every day constantly checking on how bad fighting situations or whatever may be so you know in our mind we know afghanistan's it's a little heated but we don't know how hot it is sure sure so we come back from iraq and we're thinking that we can carry the world on our shoulders mm-hmm. and um we're here mm-hmm. we're going to afghanistan and we kind of start training with the same mindset okay we've been there and been in iraq um this is just you know possibly another similar deployment Let's go through our training we, like we do seriousness, a hundred percent at everything, and uh, let's get over there and get this done. And uh, when we arrived, boy, was it different. Uh, when I was in Iraq, we were stayed in an old children's school, so mm-hmm. I had a, a a brick building. I had a nice bed, pillow, sheets, and uh, spent the entire seven months there. And when I got to Afghanistan, the first two months was in a uh, sleeping bag on the ground with a bug net around it. I had no bed. I had no tent. We had no um, showers for those first month and a half, two months. And uh, I don't want to get into specifics of the bathroom arrangements, but it was nothing like it was. Is primitive a good word? Yeah, there you go. Primitive. And, uh, All right. So, you, I mean, you, and that's right. At that time when you went back over there, there was still an awful lot of activity with insurgents and, and, uh, and folks that were uh, not happy that uh, the American presence was in Afghanistan and they were doing everything, everything they could to, to hurt you guys and to, and to get you to leave. So, but you were there uh, on a mission uh, sent by the government. So, you, you know, you, we were talking about that. What kind of missions did you guys, your particular group, get involved in? I think you said something about IEDs and just uh, – uh, Well, the battalion's main goal, um, of course, was to locate and destroy IEDs and, mm-hmm. you know, okay. patrols for insurgents. IEDs. Improvised explosive devices. Usually found on the side of the road um, or in the it middle could of be the road anywhere. Or, right. Uh, absolutely. And um, – a lot more of, of what we did over there was monitoring. We had the drones above head, and we were constantly monitoring. We had what was called a blimp. It actually it looked like a big blimp, a uh, very high-powered camera on it. It was about 4,000 feet up, 
and just constantly standing, uh, mm. scanning around. It could see a pretty good amount. Wow. You know, you've got guys that are just constantly going and planning because where we were in that area, there was a lot of organized insurgents, mm-hmm. spotty. Mm-hmm. But the majority of them was one, two, and three-man groups planting bombs here and planting bombs there and trying to um, distort you in any kind of way. And um, whether it be you have a, a, a tribal meeting with some elders, and sometimes it would be a setup, and there would be some bombs along the route or some wow. bombs there wow. and uh, that type of thing. So so what was your mission? If you found an IED, were you to disarm it, or did yes, y'all just yes. detonate usually? Or how was that done? Well, uh, 98% of the time, it was detonated by the EOD guys. Mm-hmm. These guys were um, ordnance disposal. That's what they did every single day. And just like you would see here, if there was a bomb at the mall, the bomb squad would come in right. and safely detonate it. It right. was the same thing we did. Right. Um, sometimes we used a little bit bigger boom to take care of the boom that we found. But we detonated them almost every time. Wow. That doesn't sound like a lot of fun. Now, the weather I know is, is, is Iraq. I don't know if Iraq and Afghanistan are similar, but I know it gets awful hot because I've had friends and family over there, and uh, the weather's not real conducive. So you had to deal with the weather as well as the insurgents. Yeah, it was um, the we got to uh, we left here July, so we kind of got there at the tail end of Afghanistan of the summertime when it was starting to kind of cool off. But when the winter hit, the winter hit, and it was what kind of temperatures are we talking about? Uh, any idea? Uh, it was around the low twenties, but it was a Chilly. constant. You know, here in Mississippi, we'll have a week where it may hit the mid to high 20s and 30s but when you're talking there you're talking two and three weeks at the same temperature wow and um wow by that time deeper into our employment we did have we had gotten tents that we started staying in but we had sleeping bags i mean we didn't have heaters inside or or Mm. any kind of whatever else it was you getting them three sleeping bags and you zip it up to the head and uh (laughs) All right, so you were you were also telling me about uh, a lot of times you would have night missions. Now I just right. uh, now you were not doing IED search at that time, no. but you were, had night missions where y'all would go out on patrols in small groups or large groups. Uh, that had to be interesting itself. Had a lot of night vision. Uh, yeah. technology. I'm sure that was necessary. Some of the night missions, uh, where it would be, you know, maybe transporting some detainees from one spot to another because you do something like that during the daytime and and their buddies are going to try to come cause yep. a firefight right. try to get them it was something like that uh majority of it was comsec missions you know you've got several of these fobs scattered out all around the small base we have a fob is a forward operating base that's right so okay. you have a you have a camp which is it's not super huge but it's kind of big and you get fobs all around it where you have um, squads and smaller platoons stationed out around mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. Um, their radios had to be upgraded every so often with the right crypto material and the mm-hmm. right um, networking all that stuff and uh, you had to take an osprey ride in the middle of the night and land in one of those little lz's that is that is surrounded by maybe six or seven marines you know that's it no no sea wire no big connex boxes or, or sandboxes or anything like that mm-hmm. and uh, it's an eerie feeling i can only imagine so uh, how long were you in Afghanistan? Seven months. Seven months. That was your deployment. That was. Wow. Incredibly important mission at that time, still is, and, and what you guys did was pretty incredible. Uh, anything stand out about your service? Would you do it again, Chris? Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, in a heartbeat. And I, I guess the most important thing that stands out would be the guys that we lost because you think about before you go into situations like that or before you lose a, a friend or a, a guy you may have knew or certain situations, guys you knew real well, it doesn't hit you until it happened um, when you start to think about it and deal with it and learn and live with it. Think about their family so much and what yeah. what they think about and what they go through. And, and you guys lost some men. 
We did. We did. We lost 15 of them while I was over there. And, wow. um from Ultimate sacrifice. From the third week we were there to the last week we were there. And uh, mm. that's something you just never forget. Um, pretty incredible. So you uh, you you served your four years and you left the Marine Corps a couple of years ago? I did. I got out April of 2011 and okay. uh, moved here to Brookhaven and been here ever since. We're we're certainly glad to have you in Brookhaven. It's been a treat to have you here, Chris. Uh, we've been interviewing Chris uh, Cephas, uh, Marine Corps veteran, served in uh, Iraq and uh, Afghanistan, and it's been a privilege to have you. And let me just say, as I do to all of our veterans that I interview, Chris, uh, on behalf of uh, our country, thank you for your service. One of countless numbers of uh, men and women who've worn the un- uniform uh, in time of need, but uh no role is insignificant and no role is unimportant. So thank you for your service and wearing the uniform. And it's been a privilege to have you in the uh, studio with us this morning. Thank you so much. Real, real glad to be here. Thank you, folks. Join us again soon for another edition of True American Heroes. A Super Talk Mississippi media production.